Good morning, Living Streams. Good to see you all today. I'm Mark Buckley, the founder of Living Streams, along with David Stockton's parents. David is on a mission trip to Belize today with a team. And if you ever want to do something awesome, get with David or get with one of our team leaders on a mission trip because they're going all the time from this church and they're going to keep going all the time. And really wonderful things are happening. Um, I've known David since he was one years old when his family joined our church in uh, Northern California, and now he's my pastor. And I do what my pastor tells me to do. I don't have to pray about it. I just do it. And I found it's a great way to grow. So uh, he told me to preach to you from James chapter 5. Title of this message is Warning to Rich Oppressors. The message is going to have three parts. It's a biblical warning from James to rich oppressors. There are examples of current and past rich oppressors. And then the final is how kinetic righteousness, which is really doing what God wants you to do, can release the blessings of God. James 5, let's look in the Bible, starting in verse 1, it says this. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that's coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You've hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'll give me grace to speak this word. And I pray, Lord, that you will awaken us. Even as we've encountered your presence here this morning already, I pray that your spirit will awaken us to the potential that we have in Christ, to the entanglements that sin and the riches of the world have, and so that we can use the life you've given us to expand your kingdom and bring you glory in Jesus' name. So Jerusalem 2,000 years ago was mostly poor, with a few very wealthy people. Oftentimes the wealthy people oppressed the poor people because their wealth gave them power and they were making themselves secure by taking advantage of others. James warns wealthy people in four ways in this passage. He says, first, their treasure is on earth. Second, they cheat honest workers. Third, they're self-indulgent. And fourth, they condemn and murder righteous people. Jesus also warns us about the dangers of riches. He says it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God in Matthew 19. In Matthew 13, he says, riches can choke out your fruitfulness. And in Luke 16, it says, earthly riches can diminish your heavenly reward. That's the story of a very wealthy guy. A very wealthy guy who was living in luxury while a poor man literally was dying outside. When they both died, the rich man was experiencing torment, and the poor man was experiencing grace 
at Abraham's bosom. So most of us would say, well, okay, I get it. This is for the rich guys. They got to be careful. But I'm not rich, right? I'm not rich. I haven't upgraded my iPhone in a couple of years. I'm not rich. I drive an old car, and I'm the guy that has to wash it. I'm not rich. I buy secondhand clothes sometimes. I'm not rich. When I fly, I fly coach class. I'm not rich. I shop at Costco. I remember when Costco first opened and my wife was going there. She says, what do we need? I said, well, we could use some straws. My daughter, Catherine, and I would drink these health food milkshakes when she was in um, junior high school. Christina comes back from Costco with a box of 3,000 straws. I said, what are you doing? She said, well, that's all they had, you know. So I did the math. If we had three milkshakes each for three days a week, it would take, that'd be 300 a year, 10 years. Catherine went all the way through junior high, all the way through high school, and then when she went away to college, I gave her a bag of straws to take with us. She also came back one day with this bag of spinach. I mean, massive bag of spinach. And I'm like, what are we going to do? Well, it's cheaper that way, okay? We're into cheap. So we had spinach omelets, spinach salad, fried spinach. Do it again the next day. It gets old after a while. People would come by for a cup of coffee. Can I interest you in some spinach? You can take a to-go bag of spinach with you if you want. Here's the bottom line. We, each and every one of us, have more riches than the richest guy in the Bible. They never had any kind of telephone, ever. They never were on any kind of an airplane. They never were in any kind of car. Their, their travel mode was the shoe leather express. Maybe, maybe they had a horse or a donkey. They didn't have the array of clothes and the comfortable shoes that we have, even if we get them at a secondhand store. They couldn't go into a grocery store and find food from all over the world. They couldn't. It wasn't available. They ate what was local, what was in season, and sometimes it wasn't even fresh because they had no refrigeration. On a hot day, they had no air conditioning. They were living in what we would consider poverty, and yet they were held to account as rich people. And all the warnings of the rich are really directed to us. And it's not directed to us so that we'll go around feeling bad about ourselves. They're not directed so that we would be under condemnation. They're directed to us so that the potential we have in Christ, all the grace, all the glory, all the power of the Spirit that he has given us is not going to be diminished because we're caught up in things that are unhealthy. Now, we're living in a time when There's a lot of battles going on in our society, right? There are racial battles going on. There are political battles going on. There are economic tremblings going on. But this isn't really new to the United States. When I grew up in the 60s, our president, John F. Kennedy, was assassinated because of his stance against communism, Cuba where he insisted that the missiles that the Russians had put in Cuba would be removed, and he blockaded them until it happened. 
His brother, Robert Kennedy, was assassinated because of his pro-Israel position by Sirhan Sirhan. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated because he had the audacity to demand equal treatment for African Americans and all minorities in our nation. And that incensed people. There were all kinds of political and racial tensions going on in the 60s. And in the midst of that, God started to do something supernatural, something wonderful. And and he began to pour out his spirit and people began to share their faith person to person, and churches started using different kinds of worship that were more contemporary. We had a Jesus movement, and that's when I got saved in 1970. And and we were having Bible studies and home groups and services, and people were giving their lives to Christ every single week in every single meeting, and it was awesome. It was wonderful. And I believe that God is wanting to awaken this generation. There's a lot of people that are sick of watching Netflix and Amazon Prime because it just clouds their soul. And even though it stimulates them for a little bit, it leaves them feeling really empty. And all the video games that can arouse their adrenaline leave them feeling empty. And all the political and spiritual turmoil going on in our nation leaves people feeling frustrated and angry, and they need an answer. And the answer is that Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven, has actually risen from the dead and is now pouring out his spirit on everyone who calls upon his name, and that is good news. Good news. And it's our privilege to share it. So there there are many examples of... um, Well, let let me just go into this real quick. When he says, listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery coming upon you. Those people are going to weep and wail because they put their time and energy into the wrong things. And during the Great Depression, guys were committing suicide. And in 2008 and 2009 in this valley, many previously wealthy people who got wiped out committed suicide because their lives were empty without their money. It says your wealth is rotted, moths have eaten your clothes, your gold and silver are corroded, their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. They had the opportunity to use their wealth to accomplish something significant, but instead they store it, they save it like the the Egyptian pyramids where they build this great monstrosity of a tomb and then they have all of these chambers in the tomb and they put their treasures thinking that the treasures are going to go with them into the next life and they don't go into the next life. They just corrode in the grave. It says you've hoarded wealth in the last days. Those who have wealth, which includes all of us, have a responsibility with our wealth to be giving, to be tithing, to be serving, to be releasing that wealth. Elon Musk, it just was reported, is worth $230 billion now, $230 billion. If he put that in bonds at 5% interest and spent $3 million a day every day, 365 days of the year, he could never spend it all because he'd be getting more interest money than $3 million a day. But I want to ask you a question. Does Elon Musk's coffee taste better than yours? Does he sleep better at night than you? Does he have more fun rooting for his team than you have rooting for your team? 
Steve Ballmer spent $2 billion buying the Clippers. But those of us who rooted for the Suns when they beat the Clippers had more fun watching basketball last season than he did. Bill Gates has done a lot of great things. He has a giving pledge where he challenges billionaires to give away at least half of their wealth while they're living. And that is really smart. That's the best thing they could do or any of us could do because you'd get no reward for what you give when you die. You only get a reward for what you give while you live. Everybody gives it all the way when they die. It's out of your control completely. The sad thing about Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates, they both ended up divorced in the last year or so. Do they have better friendships? Did they have a better marriage? No. All the money that they had wasn't able to bring them contentment in their own homes with their own spouse, and, and the pain that was carried over to their own children is immense. We have good news that has nothing to do with how much money we have. It has everything to do with the power of God that rests upon us that we don't deserve, but we get freely in Jesus' name. In verse five, it says, or verse four, it says, look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord in heaven. Slavery is the ultimate expression of ripping off your workers. But there's a Wall Street Journal report just this last week about all these guys that are living on ships in many places around the world. They're abandoned by the owners of the ships. The wealthy owners of the ships have problems with their shipping companies, and they literally leave the workers stuck with no money, no fuel for the ship, no ability to take care of themselves, and it's tragic. Oftentimes, wealthy people use their power to take advantage of the poor. And it says, their cries reach the ears of the Lord of harvest. You have lived in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. There's nothing new under the sun. Adolf Hitler attacked the Jews. They weren't opposing him. And then he took over Austria. That wasn't, they weren't opposing him. Then he took over Czechoslovakia. They weren't opposing him. And then when he took over Poland, finally uh, England said, we've had enough, and they went to war. Saddam Hussein takes over Kuwait. They weren't opposing him. The Russians have recently taken over Crimea, and then they went after eastern Ukraine. Those folks weren't opposing them. And the United States has its own history of taking over lands from native people, of enslaving people, of kicking out the Mexicans in Texas and New Mexico and Arizona and California who weren't opposing the white settlers. But that's oftentimes what rich and powerful people do. It should not be said about us as believers that we affirm that kind of behavior. Somebody has to have the courage to say, sorry, we're not going there. Jesus told us to live life a different kind of way. Now, I'm not here to get us involved in some kind of a political thing. 
I'm really not in any way, shape, or form. We have to, however, acknowledge personally where we sin and a nation where we sin. We have to acknowledge that if we're going to go forward in a healthy way. And we want the blessing of God on our lives, each and every one of us. But there, it is a trap to think that a particular political party or movement is going to usher in what the people of the United States really need. What the people of the United States really need is a husband and wife who could pray together because their kids are going to have all kinds of challenges, and they want to raise those kids with the grace of God in the family. What a husband and wife really need is to know how to live together in humility and, and forgive each other and grow together through the challenges and trials of life. What a, a family really needs is the ability to celebrate and enjoy the food and the climate and the grace that God has so wonderfully enriched our lives with. And if you're disconnected from the Father from whom all blessings come, you can't enjoy the blessings that he gives you. So I could go on and tell you about the Pandora Papers or the Panama Papers, which have all kinds of examples of recent uh, national and world leaders who took billions of dollars from their countries and stashed it in offshore accounts. And as a result, when you go to the third world and you wonder why there are so many impoverished people, it's often because their leaders have ripped them off. And they take a large percentage of the tax money they collect and, and stash it somewhere else. I have friends staying from Ecuador right now. And one of the things they say is that every president that they've had over uh, my friends have been there 30 years. Every president, when they leave office, they leave the country with millions and millions of dollars and never come back. But there will be a day of reckoning for all those guys. There will be. It becomes blood money. It becomes poison for their souls. So what's the alternative? In Psalm 82.3, it says, defend the cause of the weak and fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and oppressed. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. That's our call. That's our responsibility. The weak, the needy, the poor, the fatherless, those are our people that we're to go after. That's why Living Streams had a, a respite shelter here for many, many years. That's why our offices on the, the two-story house on the far end of the campus were turned into home for um, people aging out of the foster care system. That's why when I called Arthur Lee the other day and said there's some Iranian Christians who are being held and they need a place to stay, they had to escape Iran, they've got almost nothing, can we house them here at Living Streams in the apartment on our church property? He immediately said yes. That's why we have a food bank that feeds hundreds and hundreds of people every month. That's why we have uh, everything from bus passes to resources to every person who comes on this campus and says, I need help. We do whatever we can to get them connected to the resources of heaven. That's our job. And together, we can do all kinds of awesome things. All by ourselves, we can't do much. That's why we're called to be a church, to be a body, to be the eyes and ears and hands and feet of Christ on the earth today. And together, we can do, Jesus said, more than he ever accomplished. 
Here's Jesus' mission statement, Isaiah 61.1. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release for dar- from darkness for the prisoners. The spirit of the Lord was on him to bring good news to the poor. What's the good news for the poor person? That all the resources of heaven are available to you in Jesus' name. It has nothing to do with your educational background, nothing to do with the wealth of your family or lack thereof. It has everything to do with you've got a father who loves you as much as he loves anybody else. The spirit of the Lord was on Jesus, and now the spirit of the Lord is on us to bring good news, to bring freedom and release to people who are bound up. And we're living in a day and time when there are more people bound up with anxiety and depression and insecurity than ever before in our history. Because all the behaviors that social media is generating, all the comparisons from Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok are creating anxiety disorders that are brand new. So part of my experience in this um, message goes back to the time when I was a kid. When I was in junior high, I had uh, a newspaper route. I had 100 customers. I had to get up at 4.30 every morning and uh, fold my newspapers, insert them, fold them, and then get on my bicycle and deliver them around. And after a number of months, um, I came up with an idea. I had three younger brothers, and I asked if one of my younger brothers would be willing to um, fold the newspapers for me so I didn't have to um, get up quite as early. And my brother Barry started doing it for 25 cents. He did it for a while. And then John said he would do it for 15 cents. And, And then we finally settled on my brother Robert. He got up every day for a nickel. Now, a nickel went a lot further in those days. You know, you could get a candy bar or two nickels, you could get popcorn, five nickels, you could go to the movies, but still it was a nickel. You know what I mean? 4.30 in the morning. And uh, as the years went on, and I finally came to know the Lord when I was 20, I felt guilty because I had exploited my brothers. I was a rich oppressor. (laughs) And after Robert accepted Jesus, I I realized why he was up there at 4.30 every morning for a nickel. It wasn't because he loved the nickel. It was because he loved me, because he wanted a relationship with me. He wanted to be close to me. He wanted me to care for him. My parents started having trouble, and my parents ended up divorced, and he wanted to be close to me, and there I was exploiting him. And I felt really bad And then when we started following Jesus together, something really wonderful happened. Robert, who had a job as a dishwasher while he was working his way through college, started becoming a really generous guy. He got a a little uh, child in the Philippines that he started supporting. And then when he finally moved out of the house to go over to Berkeley, he eventually got his master's degree over there. My mom got his mail, and she opened up this letter from World Vision, and it said, thank you very much for the $3,000 gift to your child. And she was flabbergasted, like $3,000 to a World Vision kid from Robert who doesn't hardly have any money except his dishwashing money. And she questioned about him, him about it when, she came, when he came home, and he said, I wanted to make sure 
since I was going to be moving out that he'd be taken care of for the rest of his life. And we're like, yeah, he's taken care of. They have a rickshaw, and they're carrying him around in it. They have a city named after him over there. In those days, that money went a long way. When we started Living Streams, Robert gave us thousands of dollars towards the start of our church. Not because he had a lot of money, but because he believed in the gospel and what we were going to do. And what was so beautiful is that as the years went on and Robert had five children, God allowed things to fall into his lap. He literally got a house in Marin County for 200 and some thousand dollars, and my brothers fixed it up. It's now worth like $2 million because the Lord knew that he is this generous guy that was going to put almost everything he had out there to promote God's kingdom, and the Lord has a way of taking care of people that do that. We had in California a um, Christian bookstore, and above the Christian bookstore was my office, and our landlord was not a nice guy. He was my uncle, and he raised the rent one year, He raised it at the beginning of the year. He raised it six months later. And then two months after that, he raised the rent for the third time. He was totally squeezing us. And there was nothing I could do about it except look for another place to rent. And those were really hard to find. And one day, at the, I'm sitting in my office, and I get a message. And it says, Dr. Stockton came in. And he's looking for a house to live in. I'm like, what kind of a doctor goes to a Christian bookstore looking to rent a house? You know what I mean? It didn't didn't make any sense. Well, a couple hours later, he came by the office, and I started talking to him. He was working 120 hours a week. He was being exploited by the medical community as a young doctor in his residency program. He had had no time to find a house for his family. They were all moving up the three kids with his wife, Patty, the next day. And, and uh, there were almost no houses in Marin to rent in those days. So I called a family in our church that was going on vacation, and I asked if the Stocktons could stay in their house. And the family said yes, and the Stocktons moved in the next day. And uh, we ended up becoming really good friends. And five years later, when we both, both of our families moved here, to we started living streams in our living room, and Billy Stockton went from being a poor, broke medical student who was just scrambling to find a house for his family to being the most generous man I've ever met in my life. He funded living streams. He got us a van. He got us a truck. He bought a house and donated it to the church. He, we used that house to get an office. We sold the office at a profit, and we bought our first building. We sold that building at a profit and bought this building, all because there was a poor broke doctor who showed up and asked for help, and he never forgot that we were there for him when he needed us. When you have a friend or somebody in your life who has a need, that is the best time to invest in that relationship. Everybody wants to be friends with the successful person. You invest in somebody when they're down, they got nowhere to go but up. So in the early days of our church, I was doing everything I could to get the church off the ground, and I would go door to door. 
literally, we were starting the church in our living room, so I went all through the neighborhoods surrounding 32nd Street and Bell, that intersection up there, and, and people would look at me like, nah, I don't think so, uh, no, I don't want to talk to you, no, I don't want to read what you got to say, um, and uh, no, literally nobody came from that. So I took out an ad in the local paper, and it said, if you're depressed or discouraged uh, or distressed, call me for free counseling. One guy called. After talking to me, he realized he wasn't as depressed as me, so he never even showed up for the appointment. Um, I went to a park, a Roadrunner Park, several times. Everybody who was having a picnic got a little track for me. Hi, we're starting a church. We'd love to have you come. And um, one lady came. It was great. I mean, it was a real move of God. One lady came. And um, then... My brother did something that was really disturbing to me. He wrestled one of my younger sisters, literally wrestled her into the car. She was a cocaine addict. She was a beautiful girl who was just about ready to kill herself, being so strung out. And she, he sent her to Phoenix to live with my wife and I and our four kids while we were desperately trying to plant the church. And it was the last thing in the world I wanted. She was crazy. She literally attacked Christina, my wife, one night when I was out with a friend doing a radio program. It was a complete mess, a complete disaster. But when we got her into a treatment center finally, and she got some help, she wanted to do something to bless our church. So she knew one person who lived in Arizona, and she invited that girl, Robin, to Living Streams. Robin comes to Living Streams, and we pray over her, and the Lord shows us that she has some kind of an issue with her dad, and that day, she got a major breakthrough. Robin invited her friend Ben to church. Ben invited his friend JB to the church. JB invited his parents, Ewell and Betsy, to the church. Ewell and Betsy were in the early service. This is 1984, Ewell and Betsy, he was the head stockbroker at Shearson Lee Manhattan. He invited his friend George Vander Wingard, who was the chief of staff at Good Samaritan Hospital. And that's how Living Stream started to grow. It wasn't from anything I was able to do other than just God gave us an assignment. We didn't want it, but we did it. We do the assignment. A girl gets transformed. She invites her friend who invites her friend who invites her friend. And so what am I saying? Why am I saying this? I'm saying it because God is going to use you in exceedingly abundantly uh, more ways and through more grace than you can ever imagine if you're willing to make yourself available. If you can resist the corruption and the corrosion that comes from worldly wealth, if you can resist the temptation just to be an angry person because of all the different issues in our society that are getting everybody all riled up, if you can make yourself available to Jesus, if you are willing to share his word with people and plant seeds in their lives, whether you're an Uber driver or a company president, it doesn't really matter. What matters is 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 that you say yes to the assignments that are with you, in front of you, next to you, that are sent to you, that are knocking on the door of your heart. Are you willing to say yes? Do you want to pray with me right now as we wrap up the service and just say yes to Jesus? He wants to bring in a harvest in this generation. Are we willing to say yes? Let's pray. Jesus, help us.
Lord, you know that so many of us are skeptical. So many of us are wondering, what's the catch? And I believe, Lord, that you're saying to us that we're to trust you. We're to believe that our sins are forgiven. We're to believe that you've given us an anointing. We're to believe that you've given us an assignment. We're to wrestle through the unbelief that is so easily entangling us. And we're to trust as we declare the truth that you're alive. As we declare the truth that there is a reason and a purpose for each and every one of us here at this time and in this era. Lord, Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in Jesus' name. We're asking you to use us.